Stirring the Pot with Drip Kitchen. Who was your first crush, Taylor? What was his name? Like, it could be, like, like from kindergarten. Um, you know, I, I had that book telling me who my first crush was. Um, I think his, his, one of them was Chris. I had a couple. Yeah, you little hoe. <laughs> there were so many cute boys in my neighborhood when I was growing up. <laughs> um, there were so many hot five-year-olds in my neighborhood. <laughs> God, no, that was terrible. Um, I'm pretty sure there was Chris. I just hear Manny dying upstairs right now. There's so many hot kids, dude. I can't pick one. <laughs> um, my my boy crush. Uh, it was this kid, Kyle Frazier. Yeah. What that? What? What grade was that? Uh, I think first grade. I was going to say, that's the earliest I can remember. He was in my class, and he was a troublemaker. Really? Like, the bad boys from day one. <laughs> <laughs> this one looked like a little M&M. <laughs> like, Marshall oh, Mathers M&M. Not like, not like a red and blue M&M. <laughs> I, mean, I was picturing literal m and M. It's like he was a real circular child. Marshall Alexis. <laughs> Alexis, I remember your crush because uh, you still had the hairbrush all the way up until you met your husband. It's true. He was became <laughs> a priest too. That was the weirdest thing. Yeah, that is weird. Your life could have been so so weird. Did you ever kiss your first crush, or was that like so like not happening? Oh, I definitely did not. Not in first grade. Why did you, Kim? No, I was wondering, because you know how many people I used to hear, they were like, I got my first kiss in kindergarten, or something ridiculous, like, second grade, and I'm like, that's bullshit. Um, I think I was in, like, eighth grade, seventh grade, seventh or eighth. Yeah, same. Maybe you also had to be a hot little kid to be <laughs> making out with other kids in uh, elementary school, because I can tell you, I, uh, I had nobody romantically interested in me until I was a teenager. <laughs> Those are like the days where you probably spent days planning out your first kiss. <laughs> and now it's just like, I don't know, man, if it happens, it happens. <laughs> like, you just become like desensitized to like pressing your mouth against other humans. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll think it for a spin. You don't wait six months anymore to fucking kiss a person. <laughs> you. I feel like that would almost be like a red flag. If we're, saving, we're saving kisses for marriage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Manny, how many months was it before we had our first kiss? You and Manny waited months? Well, so we like were quasi dating. I don't know. We were just like talking at first and hanging out. Were you guys secretly Mormon for a while? I mean, no. No, okay. I guess it was only a couple of weeks officially, according to him. Is that weird? Yeah, but you guys weren't like boyfriend and girlfriend. You were just kind of hanging out, right? Yeah, kind of. But <laughs> we were hanging out a lot. I definitely liked him. <laughs> it's like buying a car without test driving it. You know, that's crazy. <laughs> Look, I don't know. It looks good. <laughs> I'll garage it and take it out in like spring. <laughs> Oh my goodness! What if you hate it? Half your warranty's already gone. The free part. The free part. 
Oh, yeah, but you can always return it. True, you could always hurt it. <laughs> hurt it? <laughs> return it. Well, it's, it's not actually a car, so it would probably hurt it. So this week, we are talking to Galen. His Instagram is gears underscore n underscore glory. He is a pro-am drifter and also a motorsport technician. And uh, yeah, he's pretty cool. And let's get him on the call. Hi. Taylor and I just had our road trip from FD Erie to Pocono and back to New Hampshire this weekend. How was FD? Sick. It was amazing. It was definitely, it was a good turnout. Um, It was kind of rainy on Friday, but Saturday ended up being really nice. And then Mm. we drove overnight and then drifted my car at the Poconos on Sunday. I heard one one of my friends was there with you, I think. Did Victoria? Yes. Yeah, we got to see her. That was nice. What'd you do this weekend? Uh, I was actually at Ready Set Drift on Saturday. A couple of my friends are out driving that I don't typically they don't drive club loose much. So we never go we never like go to the same events. So I had some free time this week and I helped them prep their cars and get them ready to go drifting because you know they help me whenever they can. What did you have to do to their cars? Uh, we took a junkyard E46 and turned it into a drift car in like a week. What? Yeah. Why'd we do that? Because we're smart. <laughs> yeah, it worked pretty good. Um, the only thing that he had to change on the car, that they, they were there Sunday too. Uh, it was a white E46 with or- orange wheels in the front. Um, what group do they run? He had to change a water pump. He runs a group typically, but that car is just like, you know, his bullshit party car. Because instead of fixing his fast car, he's got like this 600 horsepower S14 that he just didn't feel like doing anything with. So he just got something else instead because, you know, why not? <laughs> Was it running when you guys got it? Uh, we got that car a long time ago. And it was running, and then it went into storage, and then we had to, like, it sat for, like, two years. So. I thought you were saying you got it, like, the day before, got it ready, <laughs> and then took it out. No, it was, it was definitely, like, a week-long, a week-long process. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you drive? Oh, man. So, I've had, I've had this S14 for, oh, God, five years now. It's this uh, hot, hot cam, high compression LS S14. Uh, it is the bane of my existence. It's also like an indisposable pillar of my identity. So like I can't just change it up right away. You know what I mean? Um, it's it's pretty fun. We did. Uh, we've been through a lot together with that car. And when I first put it together, it was like the first time I actually had a car that was caged. That had reliable power in it. It wasn't necessarily breaking the mold because, like, I when I got started ten years ago, I had an E30, and I was like, I'm going to be this cool guy. I'm going to build this crazy E30 that like no one else builds. And then I learned that like that's not really the way to do it because you just waste time and money, and you're never driving the car right because that's the most important part in all of this is driving. Um, I would go out to these events, get like tires that I never burned through because I never drove the car because it was always fucking broken. So I got really sick of that, and I went to 
a couple different S chassis, but then I got sick of SR20 problems. You know, just old electronics and shit going bad randomly. So I bit the bullet in one LS finally, and I don't think I'm ever going to look back. And is that the car that you compete in? That is the same car. It's also the same car we did Drift Weekend. How was Drift Week? <sighs> Drift Week was the... I, it's It was a pivotal moment in my life, definitely. But also very stressful and chaotic. Which one was it? So, Drift Week 3, the most recent one. Okay. Um, for those that don't know, like, what area were you guys in? Oh, right. So that was in the Pacific Northwest. So we shipped the cars out from Englishtown. Um, Chris Knapp and Max Kimlin were all on the same hauler with me and in my same Airbnb group because we're all buddies. Uh, we sent the cars out, and, yeah, we were in the Pacific Northwest for, like, two weeks. That's really cool. Was that, like, the first time going out there, or? My first time ever in the Pacific Northwest, for sure. How did the vehicle do driving from track to track? <laughs> did you make it to, like, everyone? I am. So my car is a champion. It runs every time, as long as I don't fucking crash it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty trouble-free for me. Uh, Max had a bunch of problems with his Corvette, actually. Electrical problems, mostly. I uh, mean, not to say that. But I didn't have my own problems. Like the first track day at Villain Sportsland, which is like this mirrored Nico layout. So it's like a one one scale to Nico circuit in Japan. And we were like jamming and having a lot of fun. And I hit this guy going so slow at like 10 miles an hour. And I like it took the whole passenger front suspension uh, from that impact. So like I did that on this. That was the second day, third lap of the second day at Villains. And I'm like, it, it took a bunch of my spares out, so it kind of changed the way I drove on the rest of the trip. But other than that, it was pretty. It was pretty good. It just took us a while to fix it, like six hours, I think, after the crash. How like far into the trip was that? That was the second, the second track day. Oh no! So first track, but second track day. Yeah, it broke the steering rack too. So like, I drove like a coward for the rest of it. I mean, I still went and I had fun, but like, I was way more careful, you know. <laughs> Going through your spares the second damn day. Yeah, and I didn't. Even, I didn't even break any fiberglass. I hit him so slow. I didn't break any fiberglass, and I didn't bend any of that. Any of the car in front of me, like no dents, nothing. It just broke my whole suspension. <laughs> I'm moving to Texas at the end of this month, so I've been going to like all of my favorite spots uh, throughout Orange County, like the surrounding area. It's like a little nostalgic, a little bittersweet, but I try to drive as much as I can. But I don't think I'm going to do any drift events before I move. Why are you moving? I got a job in Texas, actually. What part of Texas? That is the Dallas area. I'm working with uh, ECU Master over there. I actually met the owner on the trip. Um, and we didn't talk anything about employment or work. It just kind of hung out and, you know, shot the shit about cars and product development and stuff like that. And then it turned into me getting a job, so... Not really what I was looking for out of Drift Week, but I'll take it because I have been on this roller coaster of emotion for the past year or so. I worked in motorsport for a while, um, and when COVID came around, right, like 
no one was traveling, which means that like no one that no one was working in pro racing. You, they canceled Formula One, they canceled the 20 out, 24 hour of Le Mans, they canceled a bunch of the local stuff around here. So we figured, you know, that was it. And a bunch of us got laid off, and I just couldn't find work after that. So I took a sales job, and I had like I had been wanting to do something more with my racing, and I was using my job in motorsport to try to chase that. And when it disappeared, I was like, well, I got to figure out something, right? So maybe how am I going to get sponsors? How am I going to go do all this and still be like relevant in the community? So that's why I did the trip looking for sponsors. And then it turned into me getting back into motorsport. It's kind of like this big fuck up circle like this, you know? No, I think that's actually kind of, kind of awesome how that worked out. Was it just kind of a risk to go out to Drift Week too? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going to have a job when I came back. I kind of went and did it, and it was, I guess, take financial commitment. So, like, if I broke the car, I couldn't keep up with my sponsor stuff afterwards because I would have no money to fix the car after, you know? Damn, that's a lot of pressure. So I can imagine why, like, breaking on that second day was kind of scary. Yeah, and I mean... Pressure for the sponsors is one thing, but like I flew Victoria out to come videograph the whole thing, and like she had a great time, and everything went smooth with that. But then I also had one of my buddies like take two weeks off of his life to come be my co-pilot, and like if I ruin the car, then like the whole experience would just go to shit, you know? Like I don't have the money where I can just go rent a car from someone to like finish the trip or like go buy another car on the spot while I'm out there, like, I would just be riding in a bus or something from track to track. Or maybe, like, light my car on fire, right? Because I'd be so sick of it at that point. <laughs> Are you going to bring the uh, car down to Texas? Eventually. Uh, this first trip, my fiancé and I are going to pack my truck and her RAV4 up to, like, the ceiling with stuff, and we're going to put it on the trailer. But at some point in, like, August, I'll come back and get it. Damn, that's a really big change from all the way to Texas. Mm -hmm. What's that, Taylor? I'm sorry, what was that, Taylor? Oh, sorry, I was just saying that's a really big change moving all the way to Texas. Yeah, it's... I never, I never thought in my entire life I'd end up there. I was like, if I'm gonna make the change or like get to where, get back to where I want to be, I got to start somewhere, right? Okay, so it's kind of off topic from what we're talking about, but how did the whole Super Street thing happen? Oh, Super Street. Um, so I was just browsing through Instagram at a slow day at work, and. I came across the profile for one of the former editors at Super Street, and, you know, I just followed him because he had some really rad content dealing with, like, cars and the industry, right? So I saw that he had a contact button on his Instagram, and I hit contact, and it brought up his email for Super Street. So I went and I was like, hey, you know, this is a little bit of my story. Um this i would really love for you know to have a chat with you guys further about maybe getting in the magazine what do you think when i sent him some pictures of the car that i had james take uh, james gravy he's shooting for rich whiteman right now and he just shot pike's peak so this dude is like 
you know, super highly accomplished. Um, it had some really killer photos that he took of my car from last year. And they were like, yo, your car is sick. I really like what you're trying to do. And I gave them like the rundown of what drifting is for a lot of us, right? We're here at this level, or even for the people in grassroots trying to go up to the top for a competition. And it's like this constant struggle of lack of resources, lack of sleep, lack of self-worth, like all of these things that you don't feel adequate with and trying to push through it to get to the next step. So I told them that story, told them about my me losing my job in motorsport and trying to get through that. And they were like, cool, we really like that. We like the story. We really like what the car looks like. Um, but it's very ugly because you keep crashing it. So if you want to get in the magazine, you got to fix it. they like, yeah, that that's pretty much what he said in a nutshell. Obviously not verbatim, but um, they liked the vibe, but they didn't like how badly damaged the car was. And I was like, well, excuse me for going racing, okay? Like, it, it was pretty all the time show car. You ended up fixing it up, though. I did fix it up. Um, that was in, like, two parts, right? So I had the time in the off-season to get the car ready for Drift Week, but I wasn't going to do any of the aesthetic stuff, and I'm glad I did do the aesthetic stuff because of the amount of, like, cosmetic damage we sustained on the trip. If I had started with my car as ugly as it was or, like, as battered as it was, uh, from last year, it probably would look like a junkyard car again. So, and I like drifting is brutal, man. Like, I like driving close. I like, I really like having a good time out on track. But I forget that like everything is expensive sometimes, right? You don't think about it. So I smash the panels. I break bumpers. I can't get bumpers right now. I can't get rear bumpers. I can't get side skirts. Like none of that. So I cobble these things back together with like rivets and aluminum, and uh. I have to like be a little bit more conscious because I never thought sustainability and like parts resources would be a thing in drifting, but COVID kind of like changed all of that for us. Right. Like tires got expensive. We can't get shit from Japan that we used to get. You can't even get stuff from dealers that you used to get. I can't get connectors. The connectors that I use for like making wire harnesses, I can't get them anymore. There's just like a back order for the next year. I was going to say, Alexis, maybe that's why we're never going to be in. Oh, that's why we're not in magazines yet, because our cars were never looking nice. We literally oh. painted both of the cars the week before FD. That's a lot of work, dude. Painting a car is a lot of work. I used to work at a body shop. It is a lot of freaking work. I hate masking cars. I give you all a bunch of credit for that. And of course, I wanted to start with the damn interior. I was like, they're going to look inside. <laughs> When I painted the inside of my car, I took the glass out and I like put newspaper all over the body and I like took a bunch of spray cans with like three of my buddies and they were just like all at the same time spraying the car. Hell yeah. And like there's a giant spot at the very top of my roll cage that we all missed. So it's like <laughs> rusty now. <laughs> I kind of left it as like a joke, you know, if, you, if you're in there and you ever see it now, you know why. Again, we had three people in here and we still missed a spot. <laughs> Exactly. The interior of um, Taylor's car is already pretty nice. Um, the only prep she probably had to do was taking the 300 water bottles out of the back seat. <laughs> I think I had previously cleaned it out, Kim, and I didn't drive it for a while, so there weren't too many water bottles, maybe like 20. <laughs> I wish I could have water bottles in my car. They would, they get hot. Anything I keep in there gets hot immediately. Well, they do. I 
<laughs> I don't like drink them once I've been there, but you know. Gotcha. So in a lot of these endurance cars, in a lot of these endurance race cars, right? They have cool suits, and which is like this. It circulates liquid. It circulates water, ice water through like these veins in your shirt, right? And I'm sure I'm, you guys have seen them. Um, and then they also have drink bottles that you can put like somewhere behind the roll cage. Uh, it has like a silicone tube, runs up to your helmet, and you, you have to bite on it to be able to suck the fluid through. So we had an intern at one of the shops we worked at. He changed the drink bottle. He changed the wrong drink bottle in the wrong car. So we thought that this guy had like a, a clean drink bottle from, from the rack. The car that was just clean and ready to go. He put an old one back in it from a car that had just come out. It sat for a week like that. So there was like this gross Gatorade water that this guy like took a first sip of it. Like he had to pull back in after a couple laps and he went and threw up. Oh my god, that is absolutely terrible. Oh. Yeah, dude. I got yelled at so bad about that one. I feel like that could be like moldy too if it wasn't just water. I got a Gatorade one time that wasn't even open and it had mold in it. Like it was like this little <laughs> thing, and I actually called the company, my <laughs> and they sent me like a whole bunch of new new stuff. But I don't know. <laughs> they're, Early. they're like, you know what we'll buy buy you back is if we send you a bunch of these for free. Let me send you more of the same thing that just traumatized you. I mean, it works for Gatorade, so <laughs> it's like customer service for me. <laughs> All right, fine, but these better have no mold in them. I'm giving you one more chance. <laughs> I better check mine before I drink this. Someone found a beak in like their McNugget or something. You don't think that stuff? You think that stuff's fake? No, it's that not. I, can, I can believe. That I can believe. Yeah, the they. Yeah, look how many chickens they're cutting up. They're bound to get a beak in there. Okay, but what about the ones that say there's like a finger in there? Oh, maybe not. But. I felt like that stuff was so fake when, like, they said they found, like, a rat and, like, all this other stuff. Okay, well, time out. Rodents in food product is, like, a real thing. I worked as a cook for a few years, and, like, when I go somewhere and I have, like, my ex my expectations set on something, I'm like, this better be fucking amazing for the price. And it's not, and it's awful, right? I like Cracker Barrel because it's cheap. It is what it is. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. But if I go to a steakhouse... Or if I go to this Italian restaurant and I was supposed to be getting a steak or I was supposed to be getting a pizza or pasta carbonara and it's garbage, it drives me nuts. Like, I don't even want to eat it after the fact. I'll just, like, very politely, you know, ask to take it home and just, like, not eat it. And go for it. I hate that. Like, I'm not picky. I will eat it. Like, I will eat anything. But I am really critical about how it's presented and served. Like, I really like to cook. That's probably my second greatest passion in life is cooking. I don't do as much of it as I used to. But if I ever, like, if I ever somehow need to find work or whatever, I'd probably open a top, like a food truck again. Or open a food truck. I've never had one. I've, let me rephrase that. I would open another business again. But it would be a food truck, and I would just do that for the rest of my life. Or that would be a great idea. <laughs> I know Alexis has got her brain turning. It's true. I'm trying to get Manny to do something so he can come out to all the uh, the events with us. Does he cook? He's the only one who cooks. He is the one who is the kitchen of Drift Kitchen. <laughs> is he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I bet if you guys ever wanted, like. If you guys ever want to do, like, a cooking or catered thing, let me know. I'll help. Hell yeah. That'd be awesome. 
The more I think about it, Manny is definitely the cook because um, every time I'm over there, he is feeding us something, and I kind of forgot about that. I was like, Manny's like... (laughs) (laughs) The biggest problem I have with cooking, right? I have to go to the store. I want to cook with what's fresh, which changes what I'm going to cook, and then I have to actually go, like, prep it, cook it, and, like, like, Lauren gets really impatient with me sometimes. Like, we should have just got food. I was like, no, I want to cook. Leave me alone. It's like nine o'clock. But it, like, hey, I, I do, I do understand her problem. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm like, look, I get it. Like, I know you're hungry, but the issue is she's vegetarian and I'm not. So when I make stuff, I try to make it so that all I have to do is add the meat to it for myself. You know what I mean? But I do, I try really hard to make like a, a vegan, vegetarian equivalent to everything that I eat because like. Back to what we were talking about, about you being really critical about food. I the other thing that really bugs me about food is misrepresentation of the culture, right? I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be tacos, it could be Korean barbecue, it could be I don't know Thai chili, something, right? It, there's a way it's supposed to taste and the way it's supposed to be made. You can't just slap some shit on it and then call it what it's not, right? So she brought me to this restaurant, and they had, like, this vegan Korean barbecue tofu burrito. I was like, that's fucking weird, but I'll try it. I had, like, again, really high expectations, because I know Korean barbecue is supposed to taste like... I I felt like running back into the kitchen and slapping each of the cooks, and then slapping the manager on duty, being like, yo, how dare you? This is not Korean barbecue. Not even close. This is fucking liquid smoke and paprika. No one's fooled by you. You're so I had to go and make her the real deal. And yeah, I, I, I wish I had a picture of it. I'd show it to you guys. But it's like this Korean barbecue is like this vibrant red color. There's a lot of garlic. It's a little sweet. It's a little smoky. Um, and there's a taste, a very distinct taste that it has that this did not have. So when Lauren finally tried it for the first time, I just, I watch her head go like, <laughs> I love doing that to people. I love showing them something they've never experienced before and then like just being like, whoa, what was that? How long have you been cooking for? Um, professionally, I cooked for maybe two and a half years professionally, but I grew up around the kitchen my entire life. I mean... I'm Filipino, so cooking is a big part of the culture, uh, especially in my family. Like, all of the guys need to know how to cook and be proficient in the kitchen. So, like, we have really, like, we used to do knife skill classes with my uncles. A lot of a lot of stuff like that. They all taught us how to cook different cuisines and, you know, how to pick vegetables or how to pick produce, meat, etc. It was part of, like, our education growing up. That's really cool. I feel like not a lot of people in general whether they're male or female are taught that (laughs) i what i like about cooking is the same thing that i like about cars and i know this seems like there's not a lot of overlap in it but cooking in a way and i guess cars in a way too are like an expression and like an extension of yourself right because it takes all these skills all of this knowledge that you've learned over the years to create this singular item in the moment and in cars, it's a little harder that way to share with people because it's a lot to explain. But in cooking, it engages more of the senses because it's your sense of smell, your sense of taste, your sense of touch. You know, as you're eating the food, 
um, your vision and the way that you like perceive this dish, right? So you can really show people uh, a little glimpse of yourself and the way that you like to do things. And that I love being able to share that with people through food. And it's cool to do that with cars too, but it's a lot harder. You know what I mean? Food's a lot more likable, I feel like. <laughs> I, I think yeah, it, it appeals to a lot more people. And like, I can't re I have like this social anxiety be anxiety about talking with cars, talking cars with people because I want to tell them what I know and like how I learned it and like what I do. But it almost sounds like I'm being a cocky prick because like to get into all the detail. It sounds like I'm bragging or I'm making shit up. Like I very, if you catch me in public or like in my regular day to day life, I never talk cars with people. Like ask me a question about it, I'm like oh yeah, it's just there. It was pretty cool. Like I just very like I try to like get myself away from that as much as I can. Like, I disassociate myself with it a little bit when I'm just in like out in public, you know. You gotta have to make them some food before you talk cars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I might stick around a little longer before I, before they get sick of me. <laughs> before I dated Reese, I barely ate anything, and he has like really opened up my palate to like Indian food, um, hala, which I know. Yes. So many. I did the same thing. Indian food is the shit. Yeah, I can't cook Indian food at all. You can't cook it. Mm -mm. No. I struggle with that. I've struggled with it my entire life. I can't get it right. I've tried it so many times. I can't get it right. <laughs> yeah, I've never. I'm not. I'm not a very uh, good cook. I mean, I can like somewhat follow a recipe, but I have feel like I have no natural like. Hmm, this needs like X, Y, and Z. I'm like maybe just some salt. I don't know. <laughs> but she makes a mean KFC bowl. <laughs> yeah, I make good stuff that like doesn't require a lot of effort. <laughs> so what's up with you guys? You got any special projects coming up? Well, um, we have our Drift Evergreen event coming up in August. Oh, hold this, on. You're, you're missing one. Yeah, this fucking crazy girl is trying to get me to go to Dan Washington for FD. Which we I said I was up down for Seattle. I said I was down for it. If we can find a way to get our merch out without spending an arm and a leg. So you, you want to ship your cars to Seattle? No. Oh. No, just our... Um, like shirts and like all the booth stuff. We ain't bringing a car out there. Car. We're way too cooked for that. I had to pull the all nighter this weekend. It was not fun. <laughs> Why? What, did you have to fix something? No, we just, or just working it out. No, we just wanted to make it to um, Pocono for Sunday, and uh, Erie's like six hours away. So FD mm -hmm. ended. We were out of there at like midnight. I went to my first FD ever for FD New Jersey. I was helping my buddy Alex. Alex Jagger. I met by shirt. Okay. Uh, if that formula drift, like being there, it fucked my life up. I uh, I thought I was ready to go to Prospect or like go to FD, right? So like, oh, it's just driving, whatever. I it made me feel so inadequate and like not ready to do anything. So I just like completely reevaluated what my goals were for drifting. What made you feel that way, though? I think it was, I mean, so Matt and Alex are parked in Chris Ford in Forsberg's pit, and right next to him was uh, the Rockstar pit with Osbo and Seth Papadakis, right? And they're, like, super chill, humble guys, like, really good mechanics. They're, you know, or at least their team, they have really good mechanics. 
and really easy to talk to. But when you see like the show that they're able to put on because of the rig and like their presence, their appearance, I'm not that kind of person. Like I tow on an open trailer with a Suburban 2500 and I have like a very generic white pop-up tent with like a cooler on the ground for my friends. You know, like I don't have this, I don't have this crazy big rig. I can, if I made it to that point, like I don't know if I could pay my friends to come work for the weekend, you know, like it's, it's a lot and I don't want to go there and start off on the wrong foot. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely different than what I was expecting. And in that same vein, I've been on the other side of it working as a tech and pro road racing. And you see the kind of pits that they have and like the scale and magnitude of what the road race teams is doing is much bigger, but you don't have that fan engagement. Right. So, you know, when you're in the pits and you're working, that's one thing, but to be the driver in the face of it all, like I'm not ready for that. I don't know if I can consistently have consistently put on the show that I need to put on while I'm driving because I also have to work on the car. Like I can't just leave it in someone else's hands because I don't have the resources. I don't know. It made me question a lot of, of what I'm doing for sure. I mean, when you think about like doing that though, I think a lot of people can relate to that and you know, it might be inspirational for others, you know, to see that like you are still doing it, even though you don't have this like million dollar rig set up. Yeah, you're right. You're for hey, sure right. He's I'm, still um, working the cars on U-Haul trailers. <laughs> I'm not even trailer in my car. I don't even have a trailer set up. <laughs> Made it. One day. One day. So I want to hear what got you guys into drifting. What was the start? Um, Kim's damn friends. <laughs> yeah, my friends are terrible influences. <laughs> Which is funny because I feel like your friends, because you guys were a couple years older, are who influenced like the friends that I had in high school to like fucking start thing. Hoodlums. What's that, Kim? I said fucking hoodlums. <laughs> yeah, they were like a bunch of street drifters, and they had some really cool cars. Like one of them had the old like A eighty six Corolla. Um, our friend Matt with his Sylvia. Or his 240 that he converted to right-hand drive. And that was kind of like my introduction to that world. Yeah. I used to see these girls chilling at 7-Eleven. <laughs> I had my old RX-7. We were young ladies, and naturally young ladies are drawn to danger. <laughs> oh my god, you guys act like you're old. We're not, not even we'll that take- old. We had some young kids asking for our autographs, though, at FD. Dude, that's awesome. It's weird, though, right? It feels weird. It was weird. I looked at, like, me and Alexis, and I'm like, damn, who the hell are we? Like, people are having to sign their camera cases and hats, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. damn, this is wild. (laughs) You made it. That means you made it. (laughs) Oh, Just wait. Just wait. Signing boobies. (laughs) <laughs> the day I signed some movies, Kim, I will know I made it. You did. You signed your own on that sticker. So some some uh, <laughs> guy goes up to us and he put the sticker that you made, Kim, um, the one the design with the both of us on it. He put it on his skateboard deck. It's so cool. But That's we. Cool. 
we um signed it and Taylor signed her damn boobs. It was the lightest part of the sticker. That's the only part it would have shown up on. <laughs> <laughs> the first set of boobies. Excuses, excuses. I was polite. I signed my waist. <laughs> where else? You look at the sticker and tell me where else I would have signed that my signature would have fit. Your hat. I would have had to sign all upways, upwards. <laughs> I don't know if you guys got the I picture. Think the f- so I think of myself as like a regular guy, even like with the car the way it is. If you see me out in public, I'm like, yeah, whatever, right? The first time I think somebody asked me for my autograph, I said out loud, but why? I, said, I asked him, why do you want my autograph? I can see like the confusion on this kid's face and I was like, oh shit, my bad dude. Like, yeah, I'll give you I gave him this broken piece of my fender from Hyperfest and like put my scribble on it and I handed it to him and like made his day, but I was like, What? You just watched me wreck my entire life. Why are you why do you want to talk to me? But in the kid's perspective that was probably so cool. <laughs> right. And like, you know, it's it's easy to lose sight of that perspective because for me, like, I was just ready to go home and put the car like on the trailer and like dump it off a cliff. And like I just made that dude's day. Such a weird thing. I don't think I'll ever get used to it. I didn't realize that I was talking to the very exclusive I've signed someone's thing or whatever group. I'm the only one that's never done that. Kim, get yourself on the damn sticker, and then they'll ask for your signature, too. I'm just going to start signing cast, I think. <laughs> start off humble. Work my way up. <laughs> that was always the worst thing when someone asked you to sign their cast, and you, like, fucked up, and you're like, damn, I can't just, like, erase it, and now it just looks shitty. <laughs> <laughs> they just spell something wrong, no regrets. <laughs> So knowing what you know all the way up until this point, is there anything in hindsight that you wish somebody had told you when you first started that you would tell someone else? Ooh, in terms of drifting? Yeah, sure. Or life. Oh, man. Life as a whole. Let's start with drifting. So okay. if I went back to tell my younger self... <clears throat> how to get to this point don't be an idiot and and there's a reason why everyone does what they're doing being unique is not going to help you especially if you have no personality like me i have no personality so being unique and having this thing to look at right you would think it's going to help you but really it makes it harder because you don't want to talk to people i very rarely want to go and like be this social butterfly i'm very like so i'm very quiet i'm very introverted for the most part like, this is easy for me on the computer, right? But, like, being out in front of people, like, being in front of a camera, like, for YouTube, forget it. I have a YouTube channel in spirit. It does very bad. Uh, but I digress. If I had to go back and tell someone, like, 10 years ago, I would tell them to focus on YouTube. Um, but I would also tell them to, like, just focus on driving, you know, figure out what works and stick with it and don't try to do the weird shit because driving is the most important thing. For the sport if i had to go tell somebody in life what to do i would tell them to invest in amazon <laughs> i thought you were gonna say never start drifting <laughs> no if you invest if you invested in amazon you could like buy all of fd and whoever else runs whatever events 
Or, yeah, they or could probably buy us out. At the right time, GameStop would have been a great investment. <laughs> GameStop. I fucked up. I should you know, have been it sooner. I should have been a Reddit nerd sooner. I don't even know anything about Reddit, to be honest. That's why we're not rich, because you don't know anything about Reddit. <laughs> Is it like an Ask Jeeves? No, it's just people. There's just no. It's people. Goodness me. It's people smarter than us that give other people tips on like you can go check a thread and it'll give you stock tips and like GameStop was just this snowballed thing that like a bunch of nerds and people who weren't even interested in stocks kind of teamed together and kind of did a big fuck you to the head funges head hedge hedge funds. I'm a. I'm an intelligent person. Did um, you say head funges? Yeah, head funges. <laughs> I heard of that. Today on Stonks, we talk hedge funges. <laughs> well, on on my YouTube stuff and in my like Instagram stories, I definitely talk about how difficult and not glamorous cars are because, and I'm sure. Each of you have been there in, at some point in your lives with whatever you were doing, or like you have this passion for something, but you also have to re- respect and admit how much pain it also brings you at the same time, right? Because, I mean, you were talking about doing that all nighter to make it from FD to Pocono, or vice versa. I think it was FD to Pocono, right? Right. Like, why would you ever do that to yourself? Because you're passionate about it, you know? But you do have to admit that that probably sucked a lot. It sucked because I like I felt like my driving wasn't as good the next day because I was just really tired. So I I felt like I didn't really do my best. She was crushing it mm-hmm. in a car that she barely ever drives. Don't let her fool you. I See? I was certainly not. I went four tires off that track twice. Taylor didn't have to witness it, but <laughs> <laughs> I went well, off track I- too. I think that for, for a lot of us, right, like, I have days when I struggle at the track, too. Like, I was doing great. I, one of the gamblers, I technically didn't even qualify, but they they were just going to do a top 16. But um, Mike Knapp came back and was like, hey, now, like, we have enough to do the top 24, so we'll do a 24. I, I qualified 17. <laughs> I didn't make it, technically didn't make it into the show, you know? So, like, yeah, that shit sucks. Or, like, you know, when whenever I have a point on my YouTube where the car looks super good, I always, not I always, but I try to make a point to say that there was a lot of effort and a lot of work to get to that point. And I know that uh, some, I think, what's her name, Lorette Nichols, she brings that up a lot, too, when she talks to the prospect guys. Like, there's a lot of steps, a lot of hard work, a lot of lost sleep you know, lost blood, money, whatever it is that these people have, we put ourselves through to get to that point. And like, I'm sure it's the same for whatever you get, whatever projects, if it's not on your cars, you know, stuff you got to do for the podcast or for your brand, right? It's a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. And especially with how the internet is these days, all the younger generation only ever see like the cool shit. I want to make a point to like tell them, you know, this is not cool all the time. This actually sucks most of the time. And you guys get to see, like, the 10% when it doesn't. Well, you, you guys have your your uh, your all-female driver's clinic, right? That's a big step. 
That's huge. There's, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of women that would love, love to go to an event and drive, but maybe feel like they're out of place. You know, I'm like, I can see why it's mostly dudes that like have a bad attitude, right? Like that sucks to even for dudes. Like I don't want to be around those guys. Let them be sour over there. I'm just trying to have a good time. Yeah, no, we're definitely breaking that barrier down. That's for sure. <laughs> No, that's really cool to see. I actually, um, my fiance is probably going to hear this now unless you cut it out, but I want to like, find, we'll probably borrow that E46 that I put together with my friend and try to get her to one of your guys' events as a clinic. Yes, that would be amazing. Hell yeah. Uh, at Hyperfest 2000 and, oh God, 2019, it was supposed to be my last my last run was supposed to be my last run of the day. When I looked at my tires and I was like, eh, let's do one more tandem session. So I go out, I do my first lead run. It was fine. Guy chasing me had me do another lead run. And I was like, well, you know, you're being kind of lame. Let me like step it up a notch. Way too fast, way too wide. Touch the tire wall on the outside, on the driver's side. And it spun me like 360 down the hill into the grass. And I was like head first into these tires at like 100 now. Because you, when you're in the grass, you don't slow down, right? And I'm like, if I fucking wreck this motor that I had just finished like two days before, I'm going to be pissed. So I pull the handbrake and I like broadside the car. I feel like the car like do this and I'm like bouncing around in it. And uh, yeah, every single panel on the car except the roof and the driver's door had to be replaced. Jesus. But your engine was good? Yeah, engine was good. Everything else, not so good. <laughs> At but least you were I, able to save that when we got back to this. Yeah. And I didn't realize how bad the crash was until I got back to the shop and we were looking at why the seat was crooked. And you could see, like, I had a halo seat at the time and, like, where it gets close to the roll cage, it actually made contact on both sides by my head. So the seat did this in the car and it, like, deformed the floor pan. I had to change the seat rails and do all the shit. And that scared me so bad. I, um, I was like, yo, you could have got hurt really bad. You know, luckily I just put that seat in there, but without it, I would have been in a way worse shape. And I didn't have a Hans device at the time either, right? So, like, I'm glad I chose to broadside the car because I couldn't even imagine what it would be like head first into the tire wall like that. It was actually super funny, too. The next event I drove, Chet was there driving. It was a clinic. I remember this now. And he went to go do a couple laps. And he's like, dude, what happened to you? You suck. Like, what the fuck are you doing up there? It's like, I'm scared of it, bro. I just had a really nasty wreck. He's like, well, fucking try again and enter a little later and like he snapped me right out of it so I'm very thankful for him for that he uh, probably doesn't remember I, but. that is what I love about Chet is how gentle he is with his words as he says what are you doing you suck <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like what the fuck is wrong with you <laughs> yeah. gentle, Kim. no but, but he, he was right he was definitely right <laughs> wow He's so cute. <laughs> no, he's a good dude. I remember, I remember running into him when he still had his Miata. His Ew. Miata. I don't know if you ever. So that. That's right. No, he, I remember when he couldn't change a tire. Oh, I was I good. I'm glad. You know what? We should bring him on. Shit, let's humble you. I'm just kidding. He's downstairs. He wants nothing no, to do with. Oh no! Oh no! No, I'm just kidding. No, he um. 
I don't. I make fun of him all the time for his uh, stance Miata. Just because you can ask Alexis, we've been like hardcore, like drifting is the best just since forever to the point that we're like H2O, that's so dumb. Um, but yeah, that's why it's funny that I ended up with a boy who like went to H2O religiously, drove a stance Miata, and like. I don't know. Like, we were just going through all his profile pictures for funsies the other day, and there was one of him doing the limbo contest. Yeah, he was doing the limbo contest, and, like, in his purple stanced-out Miata, and I was just like, ugh. I was like, oh, look, there's Chet winning who's lower contest. I was like, what a cool pick. (laughs) Did he have a bunch of people sitting on the car to squat it down? No. Of course it's a million Low. There's like a million people standing around it. It's like, dude, all you're doing is watching a car go under a stick. There's got to be something better than this. Maybe stance cars and sideshows drive me takeovers. Excuse me, that's what they call them here. Takeovers. That shit drives me insane. It makes us all look like a bunch of assholes. It's about as fun to go to as watching a screensaver. To be fair. <laughs> Okay, maybe he'll stance out the Miata he just got. Oh, no, I've already told him that that was, like, a, that was a thing. Is like, I told him about that Miata because I know he really wanted one. And that was, like, a contingency was, like, he couldn't make it stupid. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shame myself now because I shame Chet because uh, everything's fair, right? I, oh, my first E30 was, like, this very ratty missile style drift car because it was a bucket of shit and i was 16 years old i had no idea what i was doing but i had like i love booby stickers on it i had a bunch of jdm option stickers on it i had like a i love haters sticker on it with like 15 inch diamond racing steelies and this thing was like dump on its shit and i couldn't drive it to save my life because it was so bad but it looked cool at the time i remember sitting in kim's old ratty ass e30 because she used to have one and i just remember looking at the floor and being like there i can see down to the highway right now <laughs> just don't put your, <laughs> just don't put your foot through it you dumb dumb <laughs> i know i don't know why i did it was it was perfectly fine it had um it had three holes in the floor um it was the reason i would never put my dog in my car is because i was afraid he would just like grind off his legs by accidentally <laughs> moving around too much and so oh, no. yeah it was a piece of shit i paid fifteen hundred dollars for it and it was my daily i drove it through the winter and yeah it was a total piece of shit but it was a lot of fun and um yeah i loved it i loved e30s i had three of them well, i just sold my most recent e30 because i didn't want to bring it with me when i was moving um and that thing was actually really fucking nice and I, I, you know, I've gone through the point in my life where I sold, like, sold and got rid of a bunch of cars at this point. And that E30 that I just got rid of was the car that Lord and I fell in love in. So we would go on our road trips, we'd go camping, everything. Like, the first time she ever wanted to eat with me, she saw the car and she was like, hey, was that you? I was like, probably. What's up? Like, are you good? So like, yeah, like, come, come to the dining room and like let's have some let's have something to eat so like i attribute my our relationship to me having this car uh because if i was just driving in something like kind of mundane i don't think i don't think she would have paid attention to it 
Ooh. What's your like end goal with the sport? I really like what we're doing with Drift Kitchen. I think, you know, the goal is to get the women out there and I don't know. I really like instructing and I like the aha moments and, you know, seeing these girls not be able to do a donut to like shredding a track, you know, I don't know. I just like seeing everyone do really good. I don't know. I just want it to be like, I just want it to be my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's pretty much getting to that point, but it, I just want to do it all the time and like be around the people all the time. And yeah, pretty much what Taylor said. It's nice seeing girls getting out there and we want to just keep continuing to grow the sport and get more girls out there. I think for myself, like I want to bring inspiration to people. If it's not just with drifting as itself or maybe, maybe not the car by itself, but just with what we're trying to do here with my race program, like, you know, we're pretty much wrong. What you brung. Everything that we do is with our knowledge and our skill, not with money. Like, I don't have a lot of money to throw at this thing, but I know how to make it work. Yeah. You know, and especially for for these younger kids coming in, they only see, like, the cool shit, and it's not all the time. I think if there's any theme for this podcast, maybe, like, misrepresentation and, like, how to avoid it, you know? (laughs) Because there's so much on the back end of what we're trying to do that people don't see or don't understand, especially in, like, the general public, right? Um, Even for, like what business owners have to go through on a regular basis. Like how many hours, I know you guys had Adam on the podcast. How many hours do you think he, he spends getting caught up on customer orders that like he never talks about to anyone? Yeah. Or like what him and his now fiance go through for, for her business, like trying to get caught up on orders or like, you know, get out to events or be, you know, to, to their vendor spots. Like it's a lot. Mm-hmm. No. If I can have any aspiration in the sport, it would be to show people that you can accomplish more with hard work and with knowledge than you can with just trying to fake it the whole time. And I think that's how you know if people really love the sport or not, because, I mean, once you dive into it, you know, you start to learn that it's fucking hard and, you know, to do all these things, I think, you know, if you stick with it and, like, keep working really hard, then you know that that passion is real. How many kids do you think go to these takeovers and like, I want to go do that now, and then they buy this car and they fucking smash it up and then they don't give a shit about it, but then they make us all look bad in, in like one fell swoop? Yep. Sucks. <laughs> like, how do you how do you take those people and show them like, hey, like how do how do you think we get them from where they are to maybe experiencing it the way we experience it? I don't have an answer for it, but that's definitely something I'd like to figure out a solution for at some point in the future. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they'll ever stop though. I think that's just how I don't know. I don't think there's much to do except just keep showing like the positive side of drifting cuz you know those kids aren't going to listen. A lot of it like I don't even know. I don't think they're ever going to stop though. <laughs> so I do think a lot of it's like setting an example to like you said just showing showing the hard work and showing like all the backside of it. I think, like you said, people just see the glamour of it and think like, okay, if I do one of these takeovers and I make it and I'm famous, like that's going to, that, that's making it, you know what I mean? But I think like just trying to show that that's not what it takes to make it. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good night. You as well. Talk to you soon. Hey guys. 
I want to take a minute to introduce you to our podcast sponsor, Swivel Mount. Swivel Mount is a camera mount that swivels. It's made specifically for drifting. Why waste time bothering track workers to set up your GoPro mount? You can have one you don't have to worry about. You can place it on or off any car in seconds, making it easy to get great footage. Swivel Mount uses magnets to stay on your vehicle. Your GoPro won't fall off into the guy or girl tandeming behind you. I know for me personally, I like seeing how I progress over the events. Getting a chance to see the swivel mount footage is a way to study all of my runs. Swivel mount helps capture sick footage, and you can get a custom colored flag to match your whole aesthetic. Go to www.theswivelmount.com and use code DK10 to get 10% off anything on their website. Thank you guys again for tuning in and listening to us ramble. Definitely check out the next episode. Appreciate all your support. Don't forget to follow Drift Kitchen on Instagram and to check out their big cartel site and pick up some merch. Thanks again, guys.